for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Today is August 10th, 2021, and today's guest is Heath Sisko. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Blasey, and today's episode is 173, and today's guest is Heath Sisko from Ohio. This is a guest that I've been wanting to get on for a long time. Heath is hes a very good whitetail hunter. He's very knowledgeable, and he is, I don't know, he's a legend. I, I honestly, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Let's just put it that way. He does things at a very high level. And he's a consistent killer on great mature deer. And I cannot wait to pick his brain. Before I do get into this, I do want to preempt that I think Heath was having some issues with his Wi-Fi. So his audio, it kind of lags a little bit. I am very sorry that it happened this way. It's not Heath's fault at all. He did not know that it was going on. Um, I kind of bring it up during the podcast and I thought it panned itself out. I had good service. He had good service, but he was connected to Wi-Fi and I've had this issue before, um, but it does it does lag a little bit. I think it works itself out every once in a while. You can hear the information. Um, it, it might just get annoying. I hope it doesn't because this is a great conversation. Um, Heath is very knowledgeable, like I said, and I cannot wait to have him on again. Uh, we cover a lot of stuff in this podcast, and we're going to do another one shortly and cover a lot more because it just we didn't even get to half of what I wanted to talk about. So, But we do talk about scent control, what he does. We talk about his October approach, scouting in season, like how he approaches October 
um, when he gets boots on the ground, he likes to go out and 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 kind of not not necessarily bump deer, but if he bumps deer, he wants to see what buck he bumps because he's going to go back in the next morning and he's going to try to kill him in that bed. It's pretty cool. We get into a lot of cool stuff, but I wanted to preempt the audio. Bear with it, please. Uh, there's great information in this. Um, I apologize, but uh, yeah, I'm just going to preempt that and uh, just so you guys are aware. So thank you guys everybody out there for all the support and all the downloads please go to itunes and leave a five-star rating and just do a written review that'd be greatly appreciated so with that being said i'm gonna get over this interview with heath and hopefully you guys have a good rest of your week all right welcome back to the fall podcast and today's guest is heath cisco from the buckeye state it hurts me to say that heath that you're from the buckeye state because <laughs> i'm in wolverine uh, country i'm a big yep. wolverine guy you know uh, yep. but it hurts me to say that, but you know, I respect the heck out of you. And so I just have to talk to you, even though you're a, you're a Buckeye fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I think you're going to hate me for a good while <laughs> because we're, uh, we just keep stacking them up with oh recruiting rankings and, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, coach Day's got a thing going up there and we'll, we'll just see what happens. I love the competition from Michigan. I love the game. I just, uh, I, I want it to come down to the wire every time. And, yeah. Uh, Hopefully we can continue that. So you know, and as as much as it hurts me to say, like, you know, I just dislike Ohio State. It, the thing is, they have a dynasty. It is like whatever they're doing. It's just they're elite. I mean, they've got you've got Alabama, you got Ohio State, you got Clemson, and then you can throw, you know, Oklahoma in that category. But like, there's a yes. couple teams that are just like above and beyond everybody you know and it's it's crazy how they can do that year in and year out you know it it is but uh you know michigan was like that back when bo Buckler and then lloyd carr uh, yeah lloyd carr yep. and, and then you know they struggled since then a little bit but uh, hopefully they can get back up there because uh uh, the only game that I'm interested in watching all year long is Ohio State-Michigan. <laughs> Amen, man. I hope so, too. <laughs> you know, Ohio State's had Michigan's number for a good while now, and it's, you know, for for my sanity and all my friends' sanity and, and Michigan alone, I just want them to squeak one out. <laughs> like, Sure. <laughs> no I more blowouts. I just want uh, I want a W. I'm ready for one. So, yeah, but, Ohio State's definitely had their number, and you know Michigan's had some good teams. Yeah, and Ohio State at times had a good team, but they just weren't hitting on all cylinders. And every time when they come up to Michigan, they they hit it out of the park. It is. So, it's it's crazy. I'll I'll be interested to see how this year goes. Uh, I don't have high expectations for Michigan football, but uh, you know I've kind of I've had my priorities have been other other places this summer and and spring, sure. and so I'm. Uh, I'm just going to show up and see what happens when the season starts, so we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just hope the government doesn't get crazy and shut it down where we can't even enjoy sports. So <sighs> Man, we'll that'd, be a, that'd be a bad deal. Bad yes. deal. Well, hey, we didn't we didn't start this podcast to start uh, talking sports, even though I love it. But uh, today, uh, like I said, I got Heath Sisko on today. If nobody knows who you are, Heath, they've been living under a rock for a long time. You are, uh, a, in my eyes, one of the a legend in the Whitetail Woods, and I'm super glad that I could get you on here, and I'm ready to pick your brain, uh, honestly. Well, well, thank you very much. I mean, I don't consider myself a legend. I've just been, <laughs> I guess, if if a legend's being 
grinding for numerous years, well, then that would be me because I've been <laughs> hunting for a long time. So. Yes, you have. And you've killed some very impressive deer. Um, and you do it at a consistent level, which is which is awesome. And in today's podcast, I, I, you know, I, I was talking to you a little bit in the pre-call and my questions are kind of all over the map. So all the listeners out there, just bear with me. This is going to be all great info, but there might be some hard transitions just because selfishly, I want to know a lot of this stuff. And I think a lot of people will take something from it. So if you're ready, man, I'm ready. I'm going to hit you with a couple questions here. Yep. Shoot. I'm good. Good. So you you like to hunt fronts, cold fronts, you know, weather changes. Uh, I think it, it, a lot of, you know, hunters out there, they like to hunt fronts as well. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that gets the deer up and moving. Now I've watched your stuff and listened to a lot of podcasts that you've done for a long time. And you talk about fronts, but you also talk about, you do, it doesn't have to be like a cold front. It just has to be a weather switch, like a big shift kind of. And, and the reason why I don't want to, why I want to ask this question is because I had this instance in Missouri a couple years ago, and I want to pick your brain about it because it was the exact opposite of a cold front. It was really cold and, and it went from like 20 to 28 degrees to like 60 degrees in a day and the deer just boom, they are moving, you know, like crazy. Have you witnessed that a lot too, from cold to, to warm or was it, has it always been like a cold front coming in is just better? Well, you know, when you mentioned cold front, I mean, that's what everybody wants to talk about, a cold front. But it's, in my opinion, you know, it is nice when you do have colder weather come in uh, to get the deer moving. But it's, in my opinion, it's weather change. If you get a stagnant time period, even with cold weather, uh, let's say the average temperature is, you know, 50 degrees and you got, you know, 40 degrees for a week, let's say. You know, it's great in the beginning, and then it starts getting stagnant as you as you go three to four to five days into it. But when you have a switch, whether it is a increase in temperature or a decrease in temperature, and a lot of times that increase in temperature comes with a, you know, a wind change. Let's say you got a cold front moving through, and you get a northerly wind for like three or four or five days. Well, it starts getting stagnant. Then when that weather switches, and let's say warm weather comes in, and you got a south wind that comes out. I've had some of my best luck on the first south wind after a northern front. So you have a front that comes through or just normal weather that's out of the north. But then when that wind switches, the deer like changes in, in weather, changes yep. in wind. And it sets you up for different situations. And that way, if you're hunting a northern wind, well, then it opens the door to all kinds of different options with a south wind. Okay. Uh, I got some... I've, I've got, I do have good service or bad service or I've got some lag in your phone. I was just curious okay. what your service is like. Um, it seems, it seems pretty, yeah, mine seems pretty good. Okay. It might be on my end. I've got some good service too. It's just lagging a little bit. Let's see if it will work its way out maybe. So okay. you talk about that, that first South wind after a cold front, you know, it, which Mark Drury talks a lot about that as well. And when did it, does it like click for you that this is like a thing like this works like this is for you? Cause you know, there's a lot of information out there, a lot of podcasts, what I say might not work for you and what you say might not work for me. So you kind of got to like take the, take the information and use it as you will. So like, when did that click for you? And it was like, man, this is something that really I'm on to. So I started looking at, uh, um, deer activity on, uh, on my stand, uh, sites 
uh, different places I hunt, different times I hunt, um, and see when the activity peaked and when it fell off and it was I just wasn't having any luck. Yep. And uh, then when I would start seeing really good bucks and it, it never failed after a northerly front that came through when it switched over to the south that first morning that it switched, you know, I've set up and had some great luck and I started killing some, I killed several deer right on the first south wind after north. And then you just start thinking about it and you start looking at your logs and it just adds up. And then you hear somebody like Mark Jury talk about it. It's like, well, yeah, I knew that, you know, yeah. but I never really talked about it. And I never really just said, oh, I'm just hunting a south wind after a northerly front. I don't think that way. I hunt all, as much as I can. Right. But you start putting all this stuff together and it's just like, well, this is weird because I've had this and this happen on this weather change. And it's the same way, like you said, changing from everybody talks about cold fronts, but if you go from cooler temperature and then it switches to a warmer temperature, it's that change in weather that seems like it triggers the movement. Yep. You know, and you talked about, you know, if you have an average temp of like 50 degrees and let's say it falls to, let's just say 35 degrees. When is the sweet spot? Is it like, as it's changing, or is it like two or three days while it's at 35? Because then, you know, you said it, it'll stay stagnant. It might stay at 35 for a week. So like when when it, have you figured out is that sweet spot of like, I need to be sitting these three days or whatever it might be? Sure. Well, um, it all depends on to, are you talking early season, October, mid season, November, December, or late season, January. So that all depends on how, what temperature uh you know, level it is. Um, like, you know, if it's early season and you have a really shock of cold temperature coming in, you know, it may not be very good, but if you have, let's say a 15 degree drop, it seems like it kicks the deer in. It's usually a couple days and then it starts, your, your movement starts fading off. It seems like, and then when you have another switch, whether it gets back warm again, you may have a little bit of good movement in that morning. And then it goes back to being stagnant until the next weather change. Okay. I got you. And it's, Kind of, if you pictured like a like a graph, almost, I almost feel like it's, you know, a, a, it's like a big dip. You know what I mean? It's like you yes. have this, you have this consistent, maybe gradual graph, and that just like falls right off, and it's like a ditch almost. You know, it's just like okay, those yes. are those are times I need to be sitting. I need to be, you know, thinking, looking ahead, and you're probably looking ahead at the weather and everything. And it's like okay, you know, Thursday, I got to be there kind of thing right yes yes and and if i'm looking at it let's say an out-of-state hunt if i get a week's time period and all i have is north winds i hate it really because i i want i want to change uh i want to get a couple days north then a couple days south and then i wouldn't even mind having a west or back to north again you know what i mean flip flop back and forth Uh, i don't really care for east easterly winds a southeast isn't bad uh, but I don't like dead east, and, and and maybe it's just in my mind. But I, I was a fisherman too. I used to fish a lot, and they always say east the least, you know. And, okay. And I've seen that in fishing. Now deer hunting, I can't say I've seen that as much, but uh, but I like I like just like to change. And usually it's a couple days of good hunting, and then it seems like it kind of gets stagnant again. And when you have that weather switch, it flips again. And, and like a front, when a front's actually coming through that brings through a rainstorm or whatever, I love rainstorms because, like this year, um, well, and, and last year as well, the, the two deer I killed, two bigger deer I killed, was setting up my stands before a rainstorm. And then that rainstorm come through with a northerly front, 
and then uh, well, year four last, it came through with a northerly front and changed the wind from a south to a north, and I got in there the next morning of that front because it blew in a bunch of snow and it killed my buck. This year was a direct opposite. I had northerly winds, and a rain moved in, and then like two days later, it was going to be a south, so I set my stand for a south because that's just what the um, the uh, you know that's what I needed for that buck to be bedded in that certain point or wanting to bed in that area. And that's what I did. I went in there on the first morning after a South come in that night and killed him the next morning. Wow. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's cool to see like trends like that and hear from guys. Like I like, you know, you like rainy days. You like the over, you know, kind of overcast. I'm guessing my biggest book that I ever killed in Michigan here was right after a rain, like a rain all day. Like it rained all night into the morning, stopped about midday, but it was, you know, it kind of cleared up, but it was like that overcast kind of feel. And early October, is October 1st, opening night, and this buck came in with the wind to his back the whole way. And I was sitting in, uh, I was sitting in kind of a transition where I was about probably 50 yards off destination food like in the thick cover where it was a, it was a hard edge, um, where, yep. where oaks met a pine, like pine trees, like a pine thicket. And then the pine thicket was like the buffer to the destination food. And I was sitting right on the edge. I honestly, it was a North East wind and he came from straight East. So he was kind of cutting the wind in a way, but I felt uh-huh. honestly, right when he showed up underneath me, I had the feeling in my head, like, what the hell is this? How did he, why did he come from there? You know, and and that's like one of those questions I have, like, do you have a lot of bucks that come in from with the wind of their back? Like, and if so, like, what what do you take that as? Like, what does that mean? So I do in certain situations and uh, um, a lot of times in November, uh, I get them, you know, quarter and downwind. Uh, yep. You know, because a lot of times that's just what they travel because uh, they could cover as much territory, scent check as much area. And then plus they're able to, uh, you know, check for predators kind of behind them, trailing them or whatever. Sure. Um, but like you was talking about the weather changes and rain and stuff like that. I, I don't have as great, as good a luck as the front is coming in as I do when the front is moving out. Okay. Makes sense. Um, so like the first bluebird uh, day, bluebird sky day after a uh, after a storm front that moves through, those are awesome. And used to when I hunted a long time ago, um, I always wanted you know overcast days with uh, cloud cover and stuff, and I always thought the deer would think it was kind of dark and they would move more. But what I found over the years is that's completely opposite. Um, it, the deer are like humans in a lot of ways. When it's overcast, you feel, feel kind of droggy and just kind of lazy or whatever. And I, I think the deer do the same. But, you know, when the sun comes out, everybody's out in their yard messing around doing stuff outside. And the deer seem to feel kind of the same way. When it's sunny and stuff, they feel better and they get up and they move more. Yep. Yeah, and for then sure. When, when a rain, I also found out during with rains, if you're going to hunt after a rain, after, after the rain quits, what I found out is you need to be in your stand while it's still raining. And then as soon as that rain quits, it seems like the woods bust loose. Really? And, and it, yes. So what I've tried to do is I've burnt, I've got my butt burnt several times because I waited till it stopped raining. And then I'm going into my setup or whatever and end up bumping. You need to be in your stand, in my opinion, right before the rain quits. If you're hunting, let's say in the evening and it's supposed to quit raining around two o'clock. 
Yep. You need to be in your stand about one thirty, and then play it, suffer through the rain, and then as soon as it quits raining and that sun pops out, the woods will come alive. You know, actually, now that I think of it, that makes total sense for something that I that I was doing some research on a couple years ago. And uh, Casey and I were in Missouri. We had a tornado come through. A tornado touched down. We were going to the stand. We literally watched a tornado touch down. And uh, literally, it, it got so bad, and then the weather shifted. Like, we, were, we sat it out in the truck. It was, I mean, it was pouring bad, bad, bad. And we, like, right when it cleared up, we literally ran right to the stand, and we were covered up in deer. And after that night, he shot a good buck that night. And after that, I was like, I kind of wanted to know more about, about like why did the deer move. Well, I'd have to go back and kind of look at my research that I wrote down because I don't know the exact like words that it was. But it was talking about how when the earth like kind of wakes up after like a rain in a way, uh, yep. it, it opens the deer's uh like a deer's nose glands like the nose like it it almost like it makes everything more vibrant to them you know if that makes sense and it kind of gets the it just makes the deer want to get up and move like that's about that's the dumbed down version that but that's kind of what it is it it does something with their their nose and their their glands and their nose and everything kind of opens them up and they can smell better they feel better and they're vibrant and they go like that's literally yeah. what it was, and I'm like, that is crazy. That is like good knowledge, though, you know. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, they don't want to lay around for an hour after after it quits raining. They're sure. up on their feet as soon as it stops. Yeah, and and you need to be there to uh, you need to catch that movement. Yep. Now, if you see, let's say you have like some east winds, east winds, and then you see a south wind coming, is that the same as like? You know, I need to get out there and hunt that south wind, but it's not necessarily after a front. Um, yeah, I will definitely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be a a, a front change in wind direction. A front is you know more defined, I guess you could say. Right. But any change in wind direction, because you know you set up on a farm. Let's say you have access to one farm, or maybe a couple farms even. Well, you got certain places you can hunt on a south wind, certain places you can hunt on the west, certain places you can hunt on the north, and and not a lot of them you can hunt on any of the winds. If you get in certain situations, maybe you'll find that. So I like to be able to, uh, you know, manipulate hunting spots uh, with different winds. If, if I'm, I went into a farm uh, in 17, I was hunting a giant non-typical, and this farm sets up perfect for sou- southerly winds, whether it's south, southwest, southeast. And I get out there for my 10-day hunt, and we had almost all north winds. And I mean, I, I mean, I was just so upset. Yeah. But, you know, I, and, and what I should have done, looking back on it, because you always learn from your failures, is I should have just got aggressive and jumped in there and, and tried to play the thermals a little bit more instead of setting back and just praying for a, a suddenly win. Yep. And, and I kind of blew some opportunities on that uh, that hunt on a, just a magnificent deer, and, you know, those are the ones you wish you had back. Right. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's good to hear you say something like the win, like you want more win changes. That, that like that's a light bulb moment to me. You know, that's something nobody's, I've never really read and somebody's never told me. Like that's, that's something I don't really look at. You know, I just look at, okay, the wind is Southwest. Well, it's not good for the stand that I want to go into. Okay. So I cross that off. But like, I like, you know, what you're saying, kind of manipulate and get, maybe get, maybe that's time for you to get a little more aggressive, you know, and and make a move. It's the, if it's the right time. Um, I like that. 
you can you can come at them from so many different directions. Yeah. Um, for instance, the buck I killed this past year in Illinois, um, on a south wind, I knew where he bedded. On a north wind, I wasn't 100% sure. So on a north wind, I was going in there and trying to, you know, locate him and see where he was at, and I could never lock it down. But on, the, but on a south wind, I knew exactly where he was bedded. And once I determined that, it was just waiting on that right wind. Man. Now, don't get me wrong, he come in in November, and he come in following a doe, so, you know, that you get mid-November or any time in November, I mean, anything could happen. But, sure. uh, but he bedded on that little point, and it was only on a south wind. Wow. So if, if if it was a north wind the whole time, I would have been back there, and I would have probably ended up bumping into him. He would have caught on me. Who knows what could have happened because it was in bigger timber. And on a south wind, he was over in a less timbered area that was just kind of brushy, and he had one good point that he was betting on. So, okay. uh, the, you know, and so if, that's why I don't like – just one wind direction. I wanted to, if I got a weak hunt and if it changes three or four times, I'm great. But That's, if it changes okay. once, then it's, then it's tough. And th- that might even be good information too. If, if you have like some vacation that you're trying to, to figure out when you're going, if you, you know, go into like a week where you're going to travel for, you know, your rutcation or whatever it might be. And if you got straight winds, like North winds all week, you might want to rethink about, you know, do you really want to go that time? Is that something that you would do? It depends on what farm I'm hunting. If it sets up for a north wind and I can uh, manipulate most of the spots on the north wind, maybe not. But if if it's if it's a farm that I can come at it from different angles, then yeah, I'd rather have it uh, where it breaks up. It all depends on the time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it if it is the last week of October, well, I'll probably go. If it is the first week of November, well, I'll probably go. But if it's mid-October, no, I probably wouldn't. I would hold off a week. Yep. Or if it's uh, late in uh, November, yeah, I'd probably hold off. Okay. You know, you're talking about the buck that you shot in Illinois last year. I'm going to transition to that a little bit. You said you knew where he was betting on a south wind. Now, did you physically know he was betting there because you saw him with your eyes or was it recon that you had with like or, uh, trail cams or something like that? Like what, how did you know he was there and, you know, was using it on a South wind? So, um, you know, Justin Hollinsworth, yep. you guys are pretty good friends. Yep. Uh, he hunted it a, he hunted it the last week of October. It was a buck we knew about for three years. He hunted the last week of October. And for whatever reason, that buck was not showing his face in daylight. But Justin ended up um, jumping him, jumping him on a scouting mission. Jumped him out of his bed. Okay. And Justin's like, "Yeah, I jumped him in this spot." And you know, so he kind of set up his stand and tried to manipulate that spot. And plus, we was getting a lot of north winds, and he was hunting him in this other bedding spot as well. And it never worked out for him. Uh, and he never did see the buck during daylight because the buck just was not moving far enough out of his bed. Yep. Uh, for Justin to see. So then. I used that information. Justin went to Andres to hunt in Iowa. So I used that. And then I was coming back out in uh, November and I planned on coming out on the 5th, but the temperatures went through the roof. Uh, so I held off till I think I got out there on the 8th and scouted the day or so to start hunting. Uh, so basically I knew general area where I thought he was bedding or where we thought he was staying on the north wind. And I wasn't hundred percent sure whether Justin just jumped him out of a spot that he just happened to be in that day. Right. Or is this a spot that he wanted to stay in? And I went in, I hunted the, the South side of the farm uh, for a few days, no luck with the northerly wind. And I knew the wind was going to, it was a front coming through and I knew the wind was going to change and come out of the South. So I went up there and scouted. Uh, 
I actually seen him cutting into that bedding area one morning. And I went up there and scouted, and I found this right where Justin jumped him. There was three beds, and they were big beds. And you can tell where he'd just been wallowing them. Out. No kidding. And, yeah, and I knew right then. I thought, this is this is where he's staying at on the south wind. And, and I hung a stand, and it was going to rain that night. And I thought, you know, it's going to be a couple days before I get that south wind. But it's going to wash my scent away. He won't have a clue. And that's what happened. I went back in there the next morning. Now, like I said, it's November 16th. He come through following a doe uh, very slowly, and uh, and I was able to take him at 15 yards. But, you know, was he coming back in there to bed? Probably not, but that's where he wanted to hang. He wanted to right. hang in that area, and I feel uh, that he, he plucked that doe out of the herd and kind of shoved her over into his domain. Yep. And uh, they were going to spend the day in there. So That's crazy. So did do you think his three beds were just different wind-specific beds right there? Um, They could have been. I mean, they was all within 10 yards apart. Okay. Um, I, I just think a lot of times, you know, uh, I don't know that maybe they want to change beds a little bit. Uh, you know, I see some that just have one big bed and you can tell where they've laid many different directions. Sure. And then on this, no, I guess he could have uh, handled it, uh, uh, to where let's say the wind was coming out of the Southeast instead of just the dead South or the Southwest instead of the dead South. Okay. And he could have, uh, he was on a little node where he could really, uh, any South wind is set up perfect for him. I gotcha. You know, it's, I, I kind of I I pulled a trail cam a couple years ago in Michigan and it was it was a spot where I just let a camera marinate. Um, pulled a camera and I had a buck come into this camera. I can't remember what day it was. It was in, during season. Uh, he bedded down like mid morning. He uh, he bedded there for I had pictures for of him for six hours. Okay, and every it was like a time lapse of pictures, and he got up after six hours. You could see that he stretched out. He had like a big arch in his back, and he was like stretching out, kind of cleaning himself off. And the next set of pictures, he was about eight yards away, facing a different direction. So light bulb went off in my head, and I went to Weather Underground, and I went back yeah. to that day, and kind of did like. It shows you like what times of the day the winter's doing. There was a freaking wind shift at that time. Wow, isn't that crazy? That that's amazing. And you know, but all they're doing is sitting there catching that wind. They wet their nose, yes. fill it. And, uh, that's just amazing. And those uh, that's just what they do to survive. It's and, unbelievable. And for a normal, yeah, for a normal person to think that that's what they do, uh, and and if they don't understand the wind, they don't. They're they're outclassed, and they just can't imagine what they're up against. Yeah, and this was a young deer. This was a two and a half year old deer, you know. And he was he was just like uh, probably a hundred inch eight pointer, you know, a two inch or two and a half uh-huh. year old deer. But and then when he when he situated, he bedded back down for I, I want to say it was like three more hours. Okay, he literally bedded all day in this you know ten yard little swath, and uh, and he got up a half hour before day or dark and kind of started wandering off it was just crazy to see that day how that deer spent his day and how like methodical he was with it it was unbelievable it taught me so much in one trail cam pull and i'm like wow that's unbelievable that that is unbelievable you know people uh, want to talk about deer being nocturnal or just i'm not having any luck well you know they're moving 
but you know take a four or five year old deer he probably isn't getting 50 yards away from that bed no you know unless unless certain weather conditions or actual uh you know, moon transit times actually get them up and make them more eager to move farther. So, yeah, you know, and it's the whole nocturnal thing. I'm not a biologist, know nothing. Like just from my experiences, I just don't think deer go nocturnal. That's just my mm-hmm. opinion. Um, I think they have a, a shift obviously. Uh, but I just don't, the deer are somewhere, you know, like this deer, for instance, bedded down for like, you know, about 10 hours. In the daylight, yeah. you know, he was just in the thick stuff. But like you said, those deer are smart. They're just not getting up, you know. Yeah. Um, is that kind of the same instant or same scenario as you've kind of had, like, or opinion? Or what's your opinion on, on nocturnal deer? No, that's completely – well, my opinion's changed over the years, of course, because of my history in hunting and what I've seen and what I've found. But, yeah, you're spot on because uh, those deer are going to move. Uh, knocked there's no such thing as a nocturnal deer that deer is up at certain times of the day standing feeding now it may not be with out of a 15 yard circle around his bed but he is up so is the definition of a non-nocturnal deer one that lays in his bed with his head with his head on the ground from daylight to dark if that's the case then there's no such thing right i mean i hunted i hunted a buck uh this has probably been about 18 years ago it was in late season i hunted him in the morning Never seen him. I hunted in the, in the evening, never seen him. But I happened to get in there early one day around 2 o'clock, and I was looking out across this brush field, and he was out there feeding. And almost every day to the, to the dot at like 2.35, he was standing up feeding. And he didn't feed within 20 yards of his bed, and he would bed back down and be there until after dark. No kidding. So was that, was that deer nocturnal? No, he was up feeding. He was just at 2.35 in the afternoon. Right. Yeah, so that's just that's my opinion on it. Yeah, you know, and I had an instance last year too here in my family farm in Michigan. I I talked about it on a couple podcasts ago about a buck, and this was a two and a half year old deer again, hundred inch eight pointer. And um, I went in. It was October second evening. Sit. I was in an inside corner of a destination field, but I was I was probably a hundred yards off that inside corner, sitting between. It was a transition zone between bedding and i knew it was thick bedding i mean we just know it's i just didn't want to get too close to the bedding i was just over well i had this deer come out and i mean i was it was closing time it was like i saw him come over the hill and he is moseying he is like just eeyore just like i'll get there when i get there kind of thing but this deer had a methodical way of moving like he was hitting every acorn tree you know, he, his his plan was to go by me when it got dark to get out to the destination food. But uh-huh. I feel like if I would have pushed in about 80 more yards, and if he was a shooter, I think I would have been right on that cusp where I would have been, you know, I would have killed him. If I wasn't going to kill the deer, but it was just like 80 yards was about the difference, you know. But I felt sure. like that 80 yards, I'd be fucking myself. You know, like I, mm-hmm. I, I would have probably, he could have been just bedded over just that knoll and I was just far enough off with a good wind. He didn't hear me or smell me or see me, you know, hanging my stand, getting in, but it was just like 80 yards was that difference, you know? And that's just, sure. that's just, that's just so fascinating about whitetails to me. It's like, you learn so much when you just sit back and you're like, man, yes, you know, and, and, and you got to get close. Uh, to kill them things you need to be within a certain distance depends on what the terrain and 
uh, the openness and stuff will allow you. You need to be in that bubble that they're going to hit before it gets dark. Yeah. And and a lot of times that's that's a difficult task uh, to do. Uh, the buck I killed this past year, like we was talking about in Illinois, there was a funnel that was probably within a hundred yards where this thing was bedded, and it was a corner of a fence. It was a, such a great funnel, and and I hunted that funnel a couple times and seen numerous different bucks, but never did catch that buck come through there. Hmm. And I put a trail camera on it, and I got him coming through there a couple times after dark. But I'm like, you know, if I hunted like I used to hunt. 15 years ago, I would have hunted that rough funnel until I lived and died by it. Yeah. And it yep. would have never worked. I moved 80 to 100 yards, and I killed the buck on the first set that I hunted in there. Yeah. So it just shows you, um, you got to be right on top of them, and you got to scout and put yourself in those positions and be mobile to change positions and not just stick to one tree and just wait it out. It is, it, 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 you may be successful because of how many good bucks you got in that area. But if you want to be consistently killing deer every year, you got to get on them and you got to get in tight. Yep. What's your, and this the question I'm going to ask here is going to be kind of a broad situation, but like, what's your theory on like an edge? You know, a hard edge. Let, let's say it's where like uh, an oak, you know, like an oak ridge, maybe like a kind of a more mature ridge with some oaks and maples and everything in it, where it hits like a cedar thicket, like a you know, it's got uh cedar trees in it and but you know it's thick bedding are those mm-hmm. bucks are they in in your opinion and your your instances like what you've experienced are those bucks bedding more on like right on that edge or are they in the thick stuff a little bit farther well it, I, in my what i've seen deer love traveling edges Yep. They're edge creatures, you know, and I think Ben Risen coined it best with his whitetail edge. I mean, it's a perfect saying because yep. they love edges. Um, but it depends. And what I've seen, it depends on the train fe- the terrain features. Uh, let's say if you got uh, you got the wind coming out of that thicket, they like to be bedded on the edge, looking out through the open. You know, it depends on how the it depends on if it's dropping over a hill or whatever. Sure, I have found them in the middle of that stuff, you know. But a lot of times you find them just on the edge, in the fifteen to twenty yards in. Okay. Uh, they like to be able to uh, be looking out into the open and bound back through the brush. Yep. Um, but it all depends on the train, how it lays. Is there a knoll there? Which way the wind comes across that thicket? Um, I've seen it both ways. Yeah. But I, that, lo- I love hunting edges, like, like you just described. Though. Yep. Do you try to get like right on the edge? Like you're sitting, your 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 body's being split basically by the edge of like thick to thick to more mature timber, or whatever it might be. Uh, of course the sign will dictate it but yes i yep. mean that's a lot of times where you find the sign okay and, and especially if you can find where they're coming out of that thicket and let's say if it's early season you got some white oaks out through there or flat or something like that um you just got to set on the downwind side maybe get over next to a ditch or something where they're cutting through mm-hmm. um, it, it all just depends i mean it's hard to lay out a scenario and say well, this is what i would do unless you looked at the train terrain features and seeing what kind of sign was here or there you know yep yeah that totally makes sense you know we're in august now so we're getting close to this season you know you're you're down in ohio so your guys's season opens what last weekend of september this year is that right yes that is correct okay so when you're getting in let's say you're you know you're getting ready to hunt you know september's here or august whatever it might time be are do you have 
and I, I know you're doing a lot of scouting, a lot of scouting from a distance, checking your cameras, but like, how are you, are you getting boots on the ground, like right before season to kind of try to find that most concentrated sign? Or are you kind of throwing a, a sit, you know, more of like a passive sit just to kind of see where things are moving and then moving in or like, how's your, how's your strategy there? So what I like to do, and, and I've done it both ways. So I keep trying to get better every year. So what I like to do, what I have done before is just go in and throw a set and then kind of go off of it. Yeah. But I failed a lot of times because, man, if I was just one ridge over from my scouting, I would have been in the chips. Right. At least get a, get a better idea where I'm at and where I need to move to. So what I do now is, um, you know, a lot of signs laid down the last couple of weeks of September. And uh, what I like doing is going in about two weeks before season opens, if I plan on hunting some of the opener. I go in about two weeks. Two weeks before season opens, and I'll just tear the place apart. I'll, I, I know where all the white oaks are. I know where the red oaks are. I first go to the white oak patches and see if it's big timber to see uh, if the white oaks are dropping and which trees. And you can tell by the sign. I mean, they'll, you know, they'll lay it out for you. You know, there'll be a scrape, there'll be a rub, there'll be droppings. Uh, you'll see the acorns on the ground. Um, you know, or if there's like uh, you know a bean field that was planted late that's still green. Uh, and, you know, I'll check the leaves and see if they're real tough. If it's, if they turn to, like, sandpaper, well, I'll know the deer will normally be coming to it. They'll be hitting acorns if the acorns are dropping. Right. And, and just let the sign tell me what's happening uh, two weeks ahead of time. Then I'll go ahead and pick me out a couple spots. And then it'll all just depend on what way the wind is, and then that's when I'll start. Yep. I'll go in there. I'll, I'll hunt it the first morning. You know, or if it's, it's just an evening spot, maybe I'll go to another spot in the morning. Uh, to to do, run a hunt, and then I'll just roll from it. And what I see, do I need to move? Do I get down and scout? And you always got to tiptoe around to see what's going on because things change so much. Uh, this tree could be done dropping, and the next finger over or the next flat over could be producing them. And you just got to roll with them and move to them. Yep. What what uh what's your thoughts on bumping deer at that time are you afraid of kicking deer at that time or is it just one of those things if it happens it happens i I gotta know what's going on kind of thing yeah well i mean usually i've scouted the area in 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 the spring well i say spring but uh, january february time frame and i kind of got an idea on where they're normally going to be bedded um and so i try to avoid those places in the beginning and I try to hunt the outskirts. And like now, I've got a couple bucks that I've known from last year. I know, I think, where they were bedded. I didn't actually jump them out of I think I know where they're bedded. There's an acorn flat, you know, out from that, you know, 100 yards or so that has several white oaks. Well, first thing I'm going to do two weeks before season is go scout that acorn flat and see what, what acorns are producing, if acorn trees are producing. Maybe none of them are. You know, they have that a lot. And then if that's the case, then where's the sign at? Where are they moving to? Where's their water source? Uh, I should have all that, you know, known, and I just got to go check it. Okay, do I go to this water hole because I'm hunting big timber and there's a bunch of tracks in it? And then that'll lead me into uh, uh, where I go next. But, yeah, I try to avoid it. Uh, but when it gets uh, about the 15th of October, something like that, um, I'll push I'll push my luck and uh, – try to get the wind in my face and then come into the bed and check it out and see if I can jump one out of it and then see if, uh, see if they are actually using that bed. Cause I don't want to be wasting my time on a deer. You know, maybe I'm getting trail camera pictures of him and I see he's coming from this spot. Maybe I'm not. I, w- I need to go in there and verify it. So my confidence will be high. Sure. Maybe I'll see something that 
I need to change up and my approach. Maybe he's picking me out when I'm walking in, you know, that kind of deal. Yep. God, you got me fired up right now, man. I All I want to do is just go scout right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, used to, I didn't scout. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I would scout in the spring. I would pick out all my trees. I would clean my trees out, uh, and I wouldn't even hang stands. I would just take a stand in with me because I hunted places where a lot of people, a lot of other people hunted, yep. and I didn't want nobody to see my setups because right. they'd already seen my vehicle, know where I was hunting. So I would do that. But what I found is I found all these great rough funnels, and I was what they call a rut hunter, I guess you could say. And then I would go set these spots, but I wouldn't even check them out first to see if the deer used them heavy. So I would go in and waste the hunt in this great funnel that's in softwoods. And when two ridges over, the acorns are everywhere, and there's another funnel over there that's deer just pounding. Yep. So you got to scout to see what's happening. You just, if you scout, and Andre DeQuisto taught me this, scout more than you hunt. Scout to set yourself up and then give it one good go and, 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 you know, and lay it all out on the line. If that doesn't work, scout and find your other best spot and give it a go. Yep. Instead of just, you know, just picking a spot here and thinking it's going to be good from the year old sign. Yep. You can't do that and yeah. be successful. Yeah. And, you know, to hear you say that, I, I kind of think about, like, what are my weaknesses? I think my biggest weakness is just that it is boots on the ground scouting you know either in that september time frame or in that in the fall you know and mm-hmm. not not doing enough of it because i'm afraid i'm gonna bump deer all over i i'm i yes. literally i feel like i'm walking on eggshells every time you know yep. um but you know i do my spring or like you said january february that kind of scouting i'll go in there do the same thing figure out where all the rut activity was or, you know, and the farms I have here in Michigan, I've hunted them quite a bit. So I I, I know I have a general idea of like, okay, where's the community scrapes at? Where's the funnels at? Where's the pinches at that are going to produce? But like, I think I hang my hat too much on that instead of like getting boots on the ground. Like when it's October, I literally want a hoverboard so I don't have to crunch any leaves. You know what I mean? Like everybody would want it, but I just feel like I'm too passive when it comes to that, and I think that's my yep. biggest weakness. Well, I can tell you uh, it was my biggest weakness back in the early 2000s, and I, I changed all that completely around 2006, 2007, and I, I keep you know building off of that every year. Uh, but you'll see on my hunt, uh, well, on Whitetail Dictions, my show's going to be out sometime in uh, late September, but... Who in their right mind would go on a 10-day rut hunt and come in on the 8th of November and spend the first day burning up the farm that you plan on hunting for the next 10 days? (laughs) That's exactly what I did. I showed up on that farm. I walked every inch of it. I bumped deer everywhere. And I didn't – I tried to keep the wind unit to my advantage, but I I didn't care if I jumped. I wanted to jump up. Sure. I tore that place up. And then what did I do for the next four or five days? I tiptoed around because I've seen everything I needed to see. I knew where everything was. Now what I, I knew, okay, I'm going to hunt out of that tree if I get a northwest wind. And then I had this other spot. Well, I'm going to hunt out of this tree if I'm going to have a southeast wind, that kind of deal. And I tip, while I would hunt, I would get down and scout just a little bit, tiptoe around. I knew where I could go and couldn't go without being spotted and jumping deer out of these beds. And that's what I did, and that's why I was successful. If I'd have just went in there and hunted my normal rut spots, which this farm has plenty of them, 
funnels and different uh, edge of dough bedding areas and stuff, maybe I'd have had success. Maybe I wouldn't. I, mm-hmm. I really feel that I wouldn't have because that's what that buck was used to, and that's what most of the other hunters that hunted that buck did. Yeah. What would you say are some of the biggest keys, like when you're in the fall, whether it's, let's just call it October, early October or something, what are the biggest keys that you need to remember when you are going in to scout boots on the ground? Like, what are those things that you need to make sure that you're bulletproof and you're, you might be bumping deer, but you're doing the best you can so you don't bump them, if that makes sense. Sure. Well, um, knowing past history or let's say where you scouted in the spring, where exactly the beds are you kind of try to avoid those areas a little bit yep. and don't let your wind don't let your wind or scent blow in there when you are scouting and then if you are wanting to jump those deer um you want to be if you jump them you want to be able to see them because you want to be able to see what buck you jumped right and I always have my binoculars on my neck i go in clean i don't want to go in all nasty and sweaty and just where i left the you know the local restaurant right um i want to go in clean and then when i get to those bedding points or or suspected areas that I've seen in the spring where they bedded before, uh, I slip in on them. I, I, I come in downwind. Um, you like to come in because the deer's going to be looking downwind because they're waiting on predators because that's how they looped into their bed. Uh, if you come in at an angle, you get a better advantage. You get closer to them before they jump up. But I cannot stand to jump a deer out of its bed, and especially an area where I know there's a big buck standing and not be able to see what it is. That drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. But Try to get up there and slip up on it as close as you can if you're trying to jump them out. But if you're just doing scouting, field edges and stuff like that, um, you know, if farmers frequent those areas, then I don't really worry about it too much. Uh, with scent. I just make a lot of noise and go in there and do whatever. Yep. Um, but if I'm going back into the timber, I want to be careful, especially if it's a spot that I'm setting up to hunt that evening. I don't want my wind blowing right up the ridge where they're right. going to be coming. And, you know, I kind of stay off to the side. I kind of, you know, try to, it's almost like you're hunting, but you're in there scouting and then throw up a stand if you need to and get out and uh, come back, slip back in uh, that afternoon and get up in the tree. Yep. Uh, how are you on scent? Like, are, do you always wear like rubber boots, knee highs, or do you not really care about ground scent? Like, what's your thoughts there? So I went through a thing back in uh, the late 90s and then into the mid uh, to late 2000s to where I was a scent freak. I mean, I fell for every trap that the industry threw out there sure um i was one of the first ones to have a scent lock suit i bought it one before it was even camouflage um i tried that for a while i went into uh using uh, all these scent products and stuff on my body and all this kind of stuff and i've been to have this ritual where it take me a half an hour to 40 minutes to get my stuff <laughs> yep. ready i used baking soda back in the day that was before they had a lot of this stuff and then i i transitioned into smoking my clothes um, I would smoke my body and smoke my clothes, and I had pretty good success out of that. But then um, I had a buck win me that was 250 yards downwind, and he cut me like uh, he hit a brick wall. And I'm like, this is just isn't working. I'm spending too much time doing that. I'm, I'm taking chances. Uh, so I just quit doing the whole thing. Now I wash my clothes in non-scented soap, um, not a hunter's brand soap, just non-scented soap. I take a bath and just a regular Dove non-scented soap. I wash my hair with the off-the-shelf Walmart non-scented shampoo. I try to keep my clothes clean. I store them out in totes. Uh, when when I'm not hunting and when I do hunt, I come back in. I hang my clothes outside. 
uh, you know, under shelter if it's dew or whatever, you know, from morning uh, overnight or if it's going to rain, I keep them aired out. And uh, boot-wise, I used to be a big rubber boot guy too, and anymore I'm not at all because what I found is uh, my feet sweat in the rubber boots, so your feet get cold easier. Um, then when you walk, it's like blowing a puffer out the top of them. You're pumping all that scent out of the top of your boots if, if you don't have your pant legs down over top of them. So I went through that whole mess. Um, I like rubber boots because you can wade through creeks, and I like using creeks to access. But, heck, I'm now I'm wearing a lot of just leather hiking boots that I don't wear to a gas station. I don't wear uh, to, you know, my you know, around in the house, I keep them in a tote and just wear them when I get out and wear them on grass or whatever. Um, I've just changed into that. I just play the wind. I feel a lot better. I don't take as much time to do all this cautious stuff. Um, I'm, I, I shampoo and, uh, and take a bath in the same soap all year round. Um, and I feel a lot better and I don't have my skin all dried out flaking and yep. just, it, it it works 10 times better for me doing that and playing the wind and all this other stuff that I spent time and money on over the years. Yep. You know, I that's crazy to hear you just say that whole thing right there because I went through the same thing. Like I had the Ozonics, you know, and I'm not saying that didn't work. I felt like I did see a difference with it, but I felt mm-hmm. like with that unit, it was very fidgety. It was like, if it was like 12 mile an hour wind, 12 mile an hour, it was like good. But if it was like a little gustier or something like that, it was just like, and I hated the noise. Like it was loud. I always put it upside down so the fan would blow up. So I, cause I, sure. I gotta hear deer before I see him. I have to, it's, it bothers sure. me. Um, well, I shouldn't say before I see them, but I, I want to be able to hear first. Um, yes. but kind of the same thing, man. Like, did the scent lock thing uh what i do is you know i put cedar boughs in my tubs you know I, i've uh-huh. got scent lock totes that are like airtight i put I, yep. I do a layer of cedar boughs in the bottom of my tubs um and i have like athletic fitting uh camel i, I use cabela's instinct stuff um yep you know and it's it's more of mountain uh like sheep hunting clothes but I like uh-huh. the form-fitting, athletic-fitting that makes me feel better, like as far as, you know, no restrictions. And the the I'm, I'm on the fence about the boot thing because, yes, I understand what rubber boots do. They don't absorb the odor and the bacteria and everything. But like you said, it's like a puffer. My feet sweat so bad. I, you yes. know, two weeks into a season, my rubber boots, my brand new rubber boots are destroyed. They are absolutely horrendous. It doesn't matter if I, you know, put foot odor or whatever, you know, whatever it is, antibacterial stuff in it doesn't matter. They are ruined. And, yes. you know, I do the same thing. I use Arm & Hammer uh, unscented uh, soap in the shower and in for my clothes. And I hang, like, basically what you said is what I do. And I play mm-hmm. the wind. And, yes, don't get me wrong. I get winded sometimes. But... I feel like I've been more successful in the last five years doing that regimen right there. I mean, I've put, I don't want to sound egotistical or nothing, but I've put like seven bucks on the wall in five years. And for sure. some reason it was, I'm not saying it's all to my scent regimen, but uh-huh. it could be a coincidence. I don't know. You know what sure. I mean? I, I, yeah, I get winded. I get winded a good bit. 
it's just because deer get down downwind of my setup right now as long as it's not the one i'm after getting downwind well then who cares right. you know I, I do the best i can now i, I can say um, I learned my lesson with the totes. I thought totes were the best thing ever, but if you come back and you're heated up and you take off, let's say, your jacket, you're heated up in it, and you throw it in your tote and you leave it there for a day, well, that's not good because that moisture from where you heat it up creates bacteria, and then it starts building off of that. So I, I kind of try to air mine out as much as I can. But the rubber boot thing, um, I mean, I was – I wouldn't even go hunting unless I had rubber boots on and I've completely switched on that, but you just gotta, you gotta do what you feel confident in. And if it's going through all that scent regime, then great. But I'd rather spend an hour out in the stand than an hour up getting more out and getting all my scent stuff together and just play the wind and do the best you can. Because when I went through all the scent stuff, I still get winded. Yeah. And I, I took chances is the bad part. I wouldn't, I would cut the wind a little bit and think, well, I can get away with it. And what you end up doing is hurting yourself. you got to set yourself up where your wind does not uh, hit your target buck's nose, and mm-hmm. you'll be fine. Yeah, and that's, like, to me also, like, everything on your bow, like, all your gear, like, let's just take it down to, you know, your, you know, if you're shooting, like, veins or fletching or, you know, feathers or whatever, are those 100%, like, scent free like there's something that you're using on your body it could be the strap on your release it could be something it's something's gonna absorb some sort of odor so like like you said if you're all about the the hardcore then do it but my thing is like same thing i'm at the truck for 30 minutes getting on and get my stuff on it's like i don't want to touch this with my hands because i didn't wash my hands or you know <laughs> yeah it's like man oh man like this is it almost becomes work and then like, sure well <laughs> yeah know. completely like your release i always wash my I, I shoot throughout summer i wash my release really well when i get into hunting season same way in my truck i like putting a cloth over top of my seat because how many you know, Big Macs of eight sitting in my seat. Exactly. My steering wheel, I like taking a rag and wiping it all down uh, with some kind of, uh, you know, uh, some kind of non-scented soap of some sort or even a scent spray or whatever. And then my door handle and stuff. And I don't pump gas in my hunting clothes. One right. thing I do use, I got a hunting room where I keep all my stuff all year round. I run a little Ozonics unit in there. I think Ozonics, I mean, they use them in hospitals and stuff. That's where all this stuff came from. Yep. I think it's a great idea. I don't, I don't use one in a tree because I pack in too much stuff anyways. And right. It's just another pain in the butt. But like when I go on an out-of-state hunt and sometimes you can't get to uh, washing your clothes and this and that, I got them little. I got a scent crusher bag. Mm-hmm. I like throwing my stuff in there every once in a while. I mean, it, it, you know, not that it's 100% you know killing everything but i think it works pretty well in that bag so i use it yep yeah definitely a scent lock makes some or one of the same kind of units it's it's an oz unit and i have an oz unit in a bag Uh just like the scent crusher stuff and i do use that like you said like if i'm going on a trip somewhere and you know you just shoot it with that o2 or i don't even i think it's o2 isn't it or turns into o3 or i don't even know yeah. the science behind it but shoot I it with that completely but yeah <laughs> shoot it with that and it's the same same kind of stuff um yeah it's a, yeah several there's several different manufacturers that make it out there or you can just get 
a, a non-hunting one. Yeah. You know, they're cheaper. Yep. You know, that kind of deal. And just get you a duffel bag and put it in there. It's not, it, it's the ozonics part that's supposedly killing bacteria because it joins with the different molecules and all that stuff. So, right. um, it, it, on an out-of-state hunt, you're really, you're out of, you don't have a lot of options. Right. Same way going to a laundromat. Um, I got a little cargo trailer that I pull around now when I go out of state and I got my own little dryer, little portable dryer. I'll hand wash my clothes because, man, going to a laundromat, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I've smelled numerous washers and they're just not very good. So exactly. I hand wash my clothes and throw them in my own little dryer yep. now. So I actually, uh, I'm building a house right now and I took an idea from your house. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah. I watched the whitetail cribs that you're on uh-huh. in your hunting room. And I'm like, you know what? So in my plans, um, when my wife and I are designing the house, in my basement, we made a room in the basement that is completely surrounded in concrete. It's in the foundation uh-huh. and everything, and it's got, and that is, I'm, I'm finishing it off, but it's going to be hunting room. It's going to have, like, all my hunting gear in it, and it's going to have, like, nice shelves, and I want to build, like, lockers like nice lockers uh-huh. in it and like sure. I don't know. so that's my i, I kind of took that idea from me it's not as big as your hunting room but hey it'll do just as good for what i need it for but i did kind of steal that's that from great you. <laughs> well i mean we we buy all this stuff um i like i put mine and used to put them in what them, them hs green bags or whatever yes. they had and i just yep. had them stacked up whatever and i just wanted to it's it's on the back of my barn it's just a little bit of a shed and and i build it and put all that stuff in it. and it is great i love it and what you're doing i mean we've spent all this money on hunting equipment and stuff we'll take care of it and it'll last a long time right exactly i couldn't agree more ma'am well we're coming up on an hour here and okay. i think this conversation has been unbelievable uh i have more questions but i think we should save them for another one of these podcasts honestly i want to pick your brain again on some of these but i guess to to let's leave it at uh i got a question if you're i ask this to a lot of guys but if you're uh if you have a couple days to hunt in the fall like what are those days that you're picking if you have to preset those days before season you can't look at basically cold fronts or moon or anything like that like you have to pick those days what are those days let's call it three to four days where where you what what days are you picking so i guess it would all determine on what i had the previous year and what i scouted and found out in this in the early early spring on on a certain buck beds that i want to manipulate and try to hunt on particular deer so um, if I don't know the weather and all this kinds of stuff, um, well, I, I don't, I like, I try to avoid hunting the rut as much as I can for a particular deer. So I would probably pick around the, uh, uh probably the 26th, 27th of uh, October. Okay. I love it. I mean, love that would that probably, answer. And if it, and if it wasn't that, it would be around, uh, the 7th or 8th of November. If, if I'm just going for a, a solid buck on a farm that I haven't ever hunted. Um, and that's what it would be. I'd, I'd want to go out there on like the seventh, eighth of November to a place that I really hadn't hunted before. That's awesome. I like it, man. That's great answers. That's it's it's. I've talked about it on a couple of podcasts here in Michigan. My one of my farms, the nineteenth of October through the thirty first. You better have your ass in a seat because you're going to see the biggest deer yes. on the farm. It's just yes. what it is. You know, I've narrowed it down to about 11, 10 to eleven days there, and it it has happened the last four years in a row, and it's like. But the rut, I'm not here around in the rut, so I don't know mm-hmm. what the rut's doing here. 
but I am here usually 19 through 25. So you can bet your ass that I'm going to be in those stands on that farm in those five to six day period. Um, sure. But you know, a lot of, I killed my Iowa buck on the 7th of November. Um, and then majority of not majority, but I'd say a, a bigger portion of my better deer have come in that like first four to five days of October, uh, November. Um, uh-huh. but it's just one of those things. I mean, it's just, you get in a good funnel. Like you said, I did, I wasn't chasing any particular deer, which is like good rut funnel. And it, that's how it happened basically. So sure. Makes sense. Uh, I've killed, yeah, I've killed several deer out of state on the 1st of November, but it was all because of a cold, it was cold weather that came through. Yep. If it's warm at the 1st of November, it kicks me in the butt. But usually on the 7th and 8th, normally if it even, even if it is a little bit warm, there's going to be great deer moving. Uh, but like this past year, heck, I didn't even hunt the 7th and 8th. I mean, it was 75, 80 degrees. It was bad, I remember. Yeah. Yep. We were in uh, Ohio. Was I in Ohio? No. Yes, I was. I think I was in Ohio with Casey, and um, he had shot a buck the day before that. Dave, I want to say it was like fourth, fifth, or sixth, somewhere in there. But it was like so crazy. Like I remember it was warm, and then one day it snowed. We were in the sand. It snowed like crazy. The next day it's like 70 degrees. And I'm like, what the <laughs> hell is going yeah. on? Typical so, Ohio weather. <laughs> it's the same about Michigan too. It's like you never know when it's going to rain until it rains. It's like yeah. <laughs> you know. But well, Heath, I appreciate you coming on doing this, man. I honestly, I want to get, I want to record with you here in the next coming weeks, like quick, and get another part out because, like I said, I've got some questions we didn't even get to that I really want to to hit on. But it's late at night right now, and I want to be conscious of your time. And and uh, I say we just do another one. That sounds good. I, great. I, I appreciate you having me on to start with, and it was great talking to you and meeting you the other day. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. We'll do another one. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it. All right, there you have it. Another great episode, Heath Cisco. Thank you very much, man, for coming on. Like I told you guys before, earlier on in this podcast, we are going to do a part two because there's a lot we need to cover. So thank you guys very much for everything, all the support, all the downloads. Go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and leave a review. That'd be greatly appreciated. And don't forget, we're going to be right here next week on the fall podcast.